Welcome to the Effective Church Leaders Podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive. I'm your host, Becky Holton, and I'm joined by my co-host, the ever-ready Carrie Holton. Yes. How are we doing today? <laughs> doing fine. Doing fine. And you know, hon, we just finished the five-part series on how to attract more guests to your Sunday morning assembly. And we, I thought they were, they, they were interesting um, in that a lot of people commented on, on those and asked some really good questions. So what we decided to do is we would just answer these questions in a podcast this time before moving on uh, to some new content. So that's what we're going to do today on this podcast. Sounds good. Let's get after it. Well, since you're so smart, I'm going to ask you the questions. Mm. <laughs> Actually, it's just going to be kind of an interview as we bring up the questions that were asked by people who've been listening to the podcast i'll do my best to answer them okay that's what i it's what you always do mm-hmm. well in episode 14 we had a question uh, from someone who mentioned that podcast and said that in that when we spoke of the need for worshipers to get something out of the sunday morning service and they were wondering is that really legitimate and they asked shouldn't we be worshiping god from the heart without concern for what we get out of it should we be should we actually expect even to get something out of the service good question Well, first of all, I would like to take us back to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26. There, he's referring to the assembly when he writes this. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And then he writes, let all things be done for building up. So apparently, Paul, the Apostle Paul, felt like the Sunday morning assembly or any assembly of the church should build up the church. Good point. This is the same chapter where Paul writes that what is done in the assembly should also be done with outsiders in mind. Hmm. And again, let's refer to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, where the author writes, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Apparently, there were some who were neglecting the assembly. And the writer says, I want you to consider how you can encourage greater love and the doing of good deeds in that assembly. In other words, we do not meet together just to give God heartfelt worship. We meet together to encourage each other to more love and more good works. Now, having said the above, we could say that our motivation, our primary motivation, is certainly to offer God the worship he deserves. But what we get out of worship is a serendipity, I guess you could say. Right. We experience benefits that we may not have sought when we worship God. And we've said this before. When we worship God from the heart and give him the adoration and gratitude he so justly deserves, he has a way of turning the blessing back upon us. And two, while we're in this uh, question, I'm thinking of passages in Ephesians and Colossians that encourage us to teach and admonish one another. And this is what should happen in a Sunday morning assembly. And by the way, those passages would apply to the assembly of the church. Those letters, Ephesians and Colossians, 
would have been read to the church in an assembly, and they would have applied to the assembly. And so the writer is saying, again, it's the Apostle Paul, when you meet together, you should be teaching each other. You should be encouraging each other. So, yes, I think we can answer your question that it is legitimate for us to get something out of the assembly. Well, I even say more than that, that that is one of the goals of the assembly, is for us to get something out of it, in addition to praising God. And I'll even go out off the notes here for just a minute and say, are we throwing a halo on bad worship when we say we're only here to praise God and it doesn't matter if you don't get anything out of it or not? Could be. It's just something to think about. You know, I guess we could say, and I'll leave the notes here to myself, too, so look out. <laughs> Uh-oh. Put your helmet on, folks. <laughs> I mean, I guess we could say we don't always want to hear people say, well, I didn't get anything out of the assembly. No, no. It could be that they didn't get anything out of the assembly because their heart wasn't right. Right. That they weren't open to truth and they weren't open to worship. On the other hand, God certainly wants us to get something out of the assembly. Well, there is a mutual benefit. When we praise God, we do get things out of it. Exactly. If our worship is such that we are having difficulty praising God because of how the worship service is being conducted, then it's pretty sure that we're not going to be getting anything out of it either. Right. And we we really need to step back and look at that and, and not just do some blaming and finger-pointing if people make that statement about we're having a difficult time feeling encouraged and built up. Yes, and I think we could say that if we if we don't intend to get something out of the assembly, then people are going to quit coming. Absolutely. I mean, why would they come if they didn't benefit from it? Right. Now, they don't come... <laughs> They don't come primarily to benefit from it. They come to worship God. But uh, again, God has a way of pouring that blessing back upon the worshiper. Well, I might push back a little bit on that. Are we even going to follow any of these notes today? It doesn't look like it. <laughs> well, I might, I might push back a little bit on that because I think first-time worshipers are not always coming to honor God and praise Him. That's not where they are yet. They that's may true. not even know God. So if they're not going to have any level of understanding of being built up and encouraged by the worship service, it's it's not going to be connecting dots for them to be able to honor God because that's more than likely not the reason they came in the door if they're seekers. True. Not yet disciples. And maybe what we're talking about is a, is a growth process. Yes. Is that on down the road we worship God because we love and adore him and we want to express our appreciation for what he's done for us and we don't give much thought to what we get out of it. Right. But I think you're right. Early on, uh, we certainly do mm-hmm. think about what we can get out of it, and we should. Right. right. And can we just can we wrap a ribbon around this and say people ought to be getting something out of the Sunday morning assembly? Right. They ought to be. In fact, scriptures encourage them to do so. Well, you just talked about a scripture that says you shouldn't provoke people. Oh, wait a minute. I may have misapplied that I think you misinterpreted that one. (laughs) Well, let's move on, or we're going to have to order pizza because we'll be here an hour and a half. Another question that came in uh, was related to episode 15. And the question is, in episode 15, you spoke of the need to create a compelling service in order to attract more guests to come to the Sunday Assembly. But one concern I have is that churches might go too far in trying to be guest friendly. How do we know when we are crossing a line in order to make guests feel welcome? That's a good question. That's another good question. And, you know, I understand the concerns of the listener. Absolutely. 
I think we would all agree that in our desire to attract more guests to our assemblies, we don't have the liberty to do anything we want to do in those assemblies. One of our values is to do those things which encourage or edify others. Another value is to do those things that would benefit outsiders. But surely a third value that must regulate what we do is our belief in the authority of Scripture. We wouldn't want to do something that is clearly forbidden or prohibited by Scripture, even if that action might attract guests. Church leaders then will have to decide what activities they believe are permitted by Scripture, which ones align with the values and principles that guide them, and which ones actually hit the marks of both compelling and biblical. Right. That's a harder combination. Yes. So Scripture should certainly inform the determination as to when we're crossing a line in an effort to make guests feel welcome. And I would hope that just goes without saying. Now, having mentioned the parameters, Scripture would give us those. We want to encourage church leaders to give serious thought to what makes for a compelling Sunday morning assembly. No, don't go against the scriptures. But those who sit in the pews are depending upon them to think about, okay, what will really help people in this assembly? What will make this compelling assembly? What will benefit the worshiper? Oh, yes, make sure that what you do is according to scripture because that is our guide for what we believe and practice. But please give consideration to what will benefit the worshiper. Well, you use the word think. You use for the people that are planning the worship service to think about instead of just throwing it together or um, just kind of whatever I like. You're saying think about it. Stay within parameters of Scripture. But, you know, there's a lot of room in what script, within the parameter of Scripture. Sure. There's a lot of room there, and I think we it's important to think about what it is that's going to really build people up and honor God that still respects Scripture. And there are parameters there, and the people that are coming, as you said, depend upon those that are planning the worship service to be intentional and think about it. Well said. And pray about it. So to return to the question that we started out with, how would we know when we are crossing a line? Okay, if Scripture is our authority for what we believe in practice, it has to inform us of the lines that we must not cross. Church leaders will have to decide where Scripture says those lines should be identified. Right, thank you. Okay, let's move on to the next question. You mentioned in one of the podcasts content marketing. What is that? What is content marketing? Okay, content marketing is a form of marketing focused on creating, publishing, and distributing content for a clearly defined audience, and doing that online is what we suggested. Traditional marketing is much more about advertising and pitching a product to an audience. Content marketing, on the other hand, is all about sharing helpful, relevant content. I think sharing meaningful and helpful information. Uh, think, think along those lines. So instead of advertising that worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday, guests are welcome, rather than just doing that, share practical and helpful information that may serve to draw people in. You know, we talked about the possibility of sharing content that would help people. How? Well, answer the questions that they are asking. Then place that content in a package and place that our audience would be able to receive it. For example, 
Prepare short video clips that help people with their problems and concerns, maybe about parenting or marriage or self-identity or God or Jesus. I think you're talking about sharing information with outsiders that shows them how the church can help them, how it's relevant. Exactly. We want, again, we want to see the church become a trusted resource once again for advice on how to live. We've been talking about sharing helpful, relevant information with others. We also at Connect 3 Ministries believe in sharing helpful, relevant, and free information. And ours goes to church leaders and others who are concerned for the health of the church. We would like to invite you to check out some of the information that we offer. In particular, we offer helpful information in a weekly journal and in this weekly podcast. You might consider subscribing to our free weekly journal that comes directly to your inbox. It's free. And who doesn't like free stuff? Just go to our website at EffectiveChurchLeaders.com, scroll to the bottom of the home page, and click the Journal tab. Additionally, if there are other ways that we can be of service, just send us an email. We just want to serve church leaders and help them to become better equipped to carry out their very important responsibilities. Well, moving on to the next question, uh, one of our listeners asked this. You have said that we should be encouraged to invite our unchurched friends. In fact, we said that in episode 16. That's true. But what do you do when your friends are all churched? In other words, they go to church. As one gets older, it's harder to find people who are not in that category because we don't have jobs anymore. Maybe we're retired or we don't get out to go other places as much. That is so true. Yes. And what a good question. You know, we mentioned this problem. It's a question. Very yes, it is. Yeah. The older we get, the longer we are in the church, it's harder and harder for us to build friendships with those who are not in the church. I think that's a great question. Well, we mentioned this problem in that podcast, episode number 16. The longer we are in the church, the fewer unchurched friends we have. And I do think we'll have to be intentional about building friendships with the unchurched. We're going to have to do this on purpose Mm -hmm. because it's so easy for us to drift into what we know and what we are familiar with. Our little rut. Our our little world. We have our Christian friends, and we enjoy being with them. And if we're not careful, it's too easy for us to drift into a life that just, well, just settles for living with those Christian friends Mm -hmm. and not, not trying to develop friendships with those who don't know the Lord. So I guess here we're going to have to get creative. Now, how does a Christ follower meet and develop new friendships with the unchurched when perhaps that Christ follower is not in the workforce any longer, not in school, or not in any of the other typical places where one might meet others? I mean, how how do you develop those friendships with unchurched people? Well, where do you think you can find those people that don't know the Lord? Well, again, we're going to have to get creative. We're going to have to think about this. Uh, Number one, we can think about our neighbors, the people who live closest to us. You know, the folks who live across the street and the folks who live next door to us. Do we know them? Are we working to develop friendships and relationships with them? So I would say the first suggestion is work on developing friendships with your neighbors. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would also suggest possible meetup groups. Mm Mm-hmm. 
You know, maybe there's a special common interest that you have with other people. You like to hike. You like to read English literature. You like to talk about philosophy. Uh, a common interest. Look for those groups of people uh, that you can, that, with whom you share common interests and uh, start meeting with them and getting to know them. I think another suggestion that is really worthy of consideration is volunteer organizations in the community. I agree. Now, think about where you would like to serve in the community, where you would like to volunteer. It might be you would want to help tutor uh, children in elementary school or in middle school or high school. Mm -hmm. uh, it might be uh, you want to help uh, uh, ladies in, in a refuge or a shelter. I mean, there are so many ways that mm -hmm. we can volunteer to serve in our community. You know, and there's so many ways, uh, and you use the word, we're going to have to get creative and think about it. Because to be honest, when we get in our little our little world and in our little rut, we don't think about this. But if you just take time and think about some of the people that you could meet or actually that you do meet on a regular basis. What about going to the grocery store relatively same time every week and you wait in the same line and you get the same checker and you begin to get to know him or her and and develop a relationship what about um getting to know your mail carrier those poor people drag mail up and down sidewalks and they're thirsty or cold or all kinds of things going to a restaurant on a saturday morning and having the same waitress every time you ask to be seated in their section ask them what you can pray for for them or just get to know them on a personal level i think if we just realize there's a lot of people in our world that we may be seeing are there to serve us when in reality god has put us in that place to serve them very good suggestions hon uh, i think if we really put our heads to it Mm -hmm. I bet we can come up with ways to meet new people. Right. It's quite magical just to look at one of these. It's not magical. It's sacred spaces to have a person that we've gotten to know just in the public sector at the grocery store and turn it a little bit instead of them being there to take care of you. You ask them, how's your day going? How are you doing? It's crazy in here. I think it's that turns on turns a relationship on a dime. Well, you're talking about intentionality. Yes. You use that yeah. word. We intentionally look for people mm -hmm. with whom we can develop a relationship. People we can serve. Yeah. So I, I think that's well said. And I think we could probably double dog dare our, our listeners to think about this and start looking outside of their comfort level into people's lives that are are there and for a different purpose. Uh, let me go ahead and ask you another question, though. What should, uh, that one of our listeners asked, what should I do or say to my friend whom I, whom I invite when the order of services changes from one week to the next? Doesn't 1 Corinthians 14 say there's supposed to be some order in the worship services? <laughs> Sounds like our listener likes to have a kind of a regular yeah, order on yeah. Sunday morning. And well, a lot of people do. Yeah, we hear a personality type in that, I sure, think. Sure, sure. Well, the verse to which our listener refers is 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40. The Apostle Paul writes, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, in that context, Paul is talking about the use of spiritual gifts like prophecy and tongue speaking. Sure, I'm glad he's not talking about my kitchen. <laughs> There's not one thing decently, decently in and in order. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, Paul writes, Be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So 
What he is saying to the church in Corinth is this. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. He is arguing for propriety in the assembly. We might say that the assembly in Corinth was in disarray. And the implication in 1 Corinthians 14 is that tongue speaking is the guilty party. So, I don't believe that what Paul wrote there would apply to variety in the worship assembly or a worship order that frequently changes. He's talking rather about doing what is proper in an assembly. In the case of Corinth, it was improper to hear from someone who spoke in tongues if there was no one to interpret the tongue or language. And it would have been improper to have more than two or three prophets speak, according to verse 29. You know, I think changing the worship order from one week to the next will likely not be a problem for our friends that we invite to church. In fact, um, they might appreciate the variety, but I don't think it'll bother them because, first of all, they aren't regular attenders, so they don't know what is supposed to be in order from that perspective. But in every other area of our life, we like variety. Yes, and, so and I, think I think it'd be welcome. I think what you said about those that we might invite to the assembly would also apply to many of us who've been in the assembly a long time. I like variety myself. Yeah, I like yeah. a little variety too, sure. Yeah. Um, last question. Um, one of our listeners stated this que- or asked this question. You stated in episode 17 that a church should serve their community. But couldn't this dilute the church's focus? Can't we get involved in so many programs that meet needs in the community that we fail to give attention to our number one concern, and that is helping people come to know Jesus and making disciples? Oh, this is such an interesting question. Well, it's a good, another thoughtful question. I'm really appreciating the thoughtfulness we're hearing. Very thoughtful, very thoughtful. Well, I could not agree more with the notion and with the listener that too many programs can dilute a church's focus. And by the way, focus is really needed. You know, many churches today struggle because they lack that focus. Right, and many churches struggle because they're over-programmed. They're just spread so thin, trying to do too much, just wearing out so many, just a few people that are trying to do it all. They're just panting and can't get it all done. I agree. I agree. So, So church leaders will not be able to meet every need in their community. They will need to be selective They will need to ask, what are the needs of our community and which of those needs can our church realistically serve? Now, regarding the question of whether or not serving others keeps us from our mission of making disciples, well, yes, we need to remember that our mission is to make disciples. And by the way, we probably ought to use that as the filter for every program we have in the church. Good point. Does it contribute to the making of disciples and the growing of disciples? But... Back to my point, there is no need to separate our message from serving the needs of others because I think they are tied together. In fact, one could argue that serving others opens the door for the reception of our message. That's a good point. And you know, Jesus did both. He went around doing good and he also proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. And I think that's the goal of our lives is to do as Jesus did. Absolutely. Well, friends, that's it for this episode and the questions that we answered today. And uh, we're planning to return next week when we'll offer another episode of the Effective Church Leaders podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive. 